0: Well, there's a story about Martin Luther, that there was a time in his life when his conflict with Satan was so real that he says he up, picked up his inkwell that was sitting on his desk and threw it at the devil. And that ink stain remained on the wall for years as a reminder of the reality of that conflict. As Christians, we need to come to grips with the reality that we are involved in a conflict as real as Luther's. As I said last week, we need to stop seeing the church as a luxury liner and understand that it's really a troop carrier headed into battle. Whether we accept this reality or not, the conflict is inevitable because we who are in Christ are living in enemy territory. We still live in this flesh that responds to temptation. We still live in this world that is corrupted by sin. And we still live in a place where Satan is the ruler. Not only us as Christians, but all people who live on this planet. People who are ultimately divided into two camps. The camp of Adam or the camp of Christ. We are all subject to the wicked system of this world that is run by Satan and his demons. For those of us who are in the camp of Christ, those of us who know Jesus Christ as our Savior and Redeemer, the difference is that while Satan may rule this world, he no longer has power and lordship over us personally. First John four tells us for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Well, friends, if you are still in the camp of Adam, it's bad news. The armor of God that we'll talk about today is not for you. You have no defense, and Paul tells us that you remain a slave to sin. You are left to fight on your own strength, and Scripture tells us that we will all fail in our own strength. If you still do not know Christ as your personal Savior and are here today or are hearing my voice recorded, you must feel the weight of the sin still ruling in your life. You must feel the frustration of trying to live this life on your own power and strength only to fail again and again and again. But friends, that can change right now. The Bible tells us that all you need to do is repent and believe. There are no special words to say. You don't have to raise your hand today. You don't have to come down and kneel in front of everyone. There's no physical thing you can do to save yourself all you need to do is admit in the quietness of your own heart that you are a sinner, that you have sin in your life and you have no power to overcome it. You need to believe that Jesus Christ came into this world through birth by a virgin, that he lived a perfect life, that he died an unjust death on a cross and three days later rose from the grave conquering sin and death and you must accept that all of this he did for you personally so that the penalty for your sin was paid and ask God to forgive you and you can be made right with God and friend if you do that right now then you too are in Christ you are a new creation and the angels will rejoice at your salvation and so do we Although though we are new creations in Christ, the challenge we face is that we will live out the rest of our lives on this earth in unredeemed flesh, living now as enemies of the world and Satan. And this unredeemed flesh wars against the law of God, which is now living in us. Satan seeks to assault us, tempting us with the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. In this day and age, it's not that there's more sin in the world or more temptation than there's been before, but it seems today that the individual exposure level is higher due to mass and social media. And and because of technology, we can bring sin right into the privacy of our own room. And so it's easier to keep sin in the dark where it breeds and thrives. The war for us is to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh, to not find pleasure and store up treasures in this world but to have a view that looks to treasures in the next. To believe that what God has given us now is sufficient and not lust after the things of this world that we don't have. Scripture tells us in Second Timothy, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself of what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, and ready for every good work. Second Corinthians 10 says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. First Corinthians 2, For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. In our heads, We know the truths of these passages. But we must also play an active role in our sanctification, working out our salvation in our lives. But how do we do that? How do we live triumphant lives? How do we overcome this flesh? Well, If you turn with me to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verse 10. If you don't have a Bible with you, you'll find one under the seat uh, in front of you. And our scripture for today can be found on page 979. Let's read God's word together, starting in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Last week, we talked about the putting on that Paul recommends to us. This putting on is not a one time deal. It's something that we have to do every day. We get up every morning, day after day, and prepare ourselves for the spiritual battle because the evil day that Paul describes is now. It's today. It's tomorrow. It's every day of our lives until we leave these bodies or until Christ returns. We talked about the first three pieces of the armor last week, so let me review them briefly for you. So first was the belt of truth. And we discussed that the truth we are talking about is a commitment, a pursuit of truthfulness, sincerity, integrity. We buckle on this piece of God's armor, and when we do it, we are strengthened by the truth revealed in the gospel. And as a consequence of this truth in our lives, we will display the characteristics of Christ in our attitudes, language, and behavior. The second piece of armor was the breastplate of righteousness. We recall that the righteousness Paul is talking about here is an imparted or earned righteousness. This is the righteousness that comes with a good conscious conscience and a godly life. It is a practical pursuit of purity, a practical pursuit of purity in the pattern of our day-to-day living so as to avoid a lifestyle of besetting sins. And finally, we talked about the shoes of the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace is the good news that you have made peace with God. To be at peace with God means that he is no longer our enemy, but instead he is our strength. But it's not our strength, but his might in which we fight. And if we are in his might... He is on our side, and so we are invincible. These first three pieces of armor are introduced by the verb having. Having fastened on the belt of truth. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. It implies that those are permanent things, things already done. Your belt Breastplate and shoes you could have on while sitting around in camp or in the barracks. But as the verses move on to the next three pieces of armor, first it tells us in all circumstances, at all times showing commitment, at all times holiness, at all times confidence in the presence and power of God. Now we're ready for action and to take up the shield, take up the helmet, and take up the sword for battle. Three fixed pieces of armor and three added pieces. Let's look at the first piece of armor we are to take up, the shield of faith, the shield of faith. In Roman times, there were several kinds of shields that could be used. If you were a gladiator, you carried a small, round shield that could be held in one hand. It didn't cover much more than your arm, but it was very maneuverable. But this is not the shield that is described here. What's described is a very large, heavy shield. Some say as much as 18 to 20 pounds in weight likely about four feet tall and two and a half feet wide. It would cover a man from mid-thigh to shoulder. And it was designed to give complete protection. And if you set it, the bottom of it down on the ground, you could hide your entire body behind it. The shield could be thought of as armor for your armor. And scripture tells us that its purpose is to extinguish the flaming darts Of Satan, because he is the source of this attack. In that day, to attack soldiers carrying these shields, warriors used metal tip arrows with uh, flaming pitch or tar on them. But the shields were covered in leather and saturated with a substance that would extinguish the flame of the arrows when they stuck in the shield." The darts described here are symbols of seducing temptations. Greed, vanity, pride, anger, materialism, impatience. They come at us all the time. But at the heart of all this sin is dissatisfaction. Dissatisfaction. Going all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Not being satisfied with what God has given us and being enticed by the glitter of the world and believing the lies of Satan. So what is it that extinguishes these darts? The answer is faith. Faith. Believing that God has the best for you and all those worldly things are lies. Hebrews 11.1 tells us, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. This hope is not the same hope that we think of today. It's not wishful thinking as we might think of hoping, but instead it is a more certain future, a robust expectation. Brian Zacharias says, faith enables the believer to live now in the future. And to experience spiritual things as realities, even if not seen immediately. It provides a tremendous defense against those temptations which are immediately visible. Faith knows that the things of this world will pass away. No matter what the circumstances or what the temptation, it is temporary. And is not lured into the false security of depending on things of this world. Faith helps us to remember to depend on God and to stand on the truth of His Word, and it will satisfy us. The next piece of armor is the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. Roman soldiers wore helmets because they knew that a blow to the head could be fatal. Some helmets were leather with metal pieces fastened on them, and some were solid cast metal like the soldiers' breastplates. It protected the head from long swords that were used at the time. We often see pictures of Roman soldiers carrying a short sword that was mainly used in hand-to-hand combat, but they also sometimes carried a massive double-edged long sword, which was about three to four feet in length and was wielded with both hands and could be swung so hard when a soldier raised it over his head as to crush a man's skull with a mighty swing." Even with a helmet on, this could be a devastating blow. But our helmet is the helmet of salvation. Some might take the simple view and say, well, you wouldn't want to go into this battle if you weren't saved. But as we've discussed, you wouldn't even have this armor if you weren't saved. So it must mean something more. As we think about it, there are three aspects of salvation. A past, present, and future. Past is the time we believed and we were saved from the penalty of sin. We were saved from the penalty of sin. This is called the doctrine of justification. Present is the ongoing process of being saved from the power of sin, from the power of sin in that sin no longer has power over you. And that's the doctrine called sanctification. And future is the promise of being freed from the presence of sin, the presence, which speaks of our ultimate glorification. So the general term salvation includes all three. It has happened to you. It is happening to you. And it will happen to you. It is secure. So the helmet represents our confidence in reaching the fullness of that final phase of salvation when we will be glorified. It gives us assurance that our salvation cannot be lost. The shepherd will not allow a sheep that has been given to him by the Father to be lost And so in this war against sin in our lives, we ultimately cannot lose. The victory has already been won. Our leader and general Christ himself has conquered sin and death. John MacArthur said of all of this, we have a calling that cannot be revoked. We have an inheritance that cannot be defiled. We have a foundation that cannot be shaken. And we have a seal that cannot be broken. And so we have a life that ultimately cannot perish. Listen to the closing line of the little book of Jude, one chapter, and the power of the words there. Jude 1 verses 24 and 25 say, So to carry through on the word picture of the helmet, any two-handed overhead blow from Satan that might come and try to crush us will be deflected by the helmet of salvation and we will never be separated from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. The final piece of armor is the sword of the spirit. The sword of the spirit. In all that has been described so far, belt, breastplate, shoes, shield, helmet. This, the sword, is the only weapon. It is also probably the most familiar to us as we will commonly use the term sword of the Spirit. The Bible is that sword. Not in the sense that I can pick up a Bible and kill someone with it, although some study Bibles get so big that you might be able to but you wield it in the sense that you know what it says. You're able to use and apply the truth of Scripture in your life. This Scripture is the Word of God, given by God. But how do we see this Scripture? Well, Vodi defines Scripture as a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. They report supernatural events that took place in fulfillment of specific prophecies, and they claim to be divine rather than human in origin. We need to have an unshakable view of Scripture. It needs to be the bedrock on which our whole lives are based. We need to believe it is without mistake. It is without mistake. <clears throat> Psalm 19 tells us the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making the wise, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. And the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. We also need to believe that it is complete, that it is complete. Revelation 22 warns us, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. And we also need to believe that it is God's inspired and the authoritative word of God. 2 Timothy 3 says. There is no other book in all of history that may claim these things. As such, it is a formidable weapon, and it is the only weapon that we need in this battle. The Greek word for this sword is not the word for the big, long sword, as we talked about earlier, that is wielded with two hands. Instead, it is a smaller, short sword, about 18 to 24 inches long, that the Roman soldier carried, carried with him all the time. But as we said, this our sword is not a physical object. Here, it is the sword of the Spirit. It is a supernatural weapon that is given to us by the Holy Spirit a sword to be wielded in a spiritual battle, in a spiritual battle. 2 Corinthians tells us that this small spiritual sword is so powerful that it can destroy strongholds or fortresses. 2 Corinthians 10.3 tells us, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. A huge, massive stone edifice or castle can be destroyed with this seemingly small sword. These strongholds are for us not physical things, but they are the arguments or opinions Policies, ideas, laws, anything or any position a person takes on that is against the knowledge of God. These are the prison within which sinners are held captive. They are besetting sins that destroy our lives and diminish our usefulness in ministry. And the sword of the Spirit is the offensive weapon of truth that can be wielded to break down these strongholds and set the captives free. While the sword of the Spirit has obvious offensive power, it is also a defensive weapon. We can use it to parry the thrusts of Satan and his demons. So what this tells us is that your defense is to know the truth. Like the short sword, it is represented by scriptural truth needs to be wielded with skill and with practice. Roman soldiers would start their sword training by chopping at logs for hours with their swords just to build up the strength of their arms. Only then would they start to learn the moves to parry and thrust with the sword. The Bible is physically just a book, but we need to spend time strengthening our minds just by reading it day after day. Then the power to wield it comes as the knowledge we gain turns into understanding, and understanding into application of the truths that are found inside. This knowledge of scripture needs to be more than just a general understanding of the big picture. This is where we may start as baby Christians, but the concept here is to know the specific application in scripture, to search the scriptures, to be specific in our defense and attack. The greatest example of this is seen in how Jesus uses specific scriptures to fend off The temptations of Satan after his time in the desert. Matthew 4 and Luke 4 both tell the story of how after each temptation by Satan, Jesus responds, it is written. It is written. Specific application of scripture to defend against temptation. We need to show discipline, desire, and be filled with the spirit to make this happen. And start by simply reading, reading leading to meditation, understanding, and eventually teaching. Putting on the armor of God is really a picture of putting on Jesus Christ. As we talked about in the beginning, being really in Christ. When you received Christ, you received this armor now we just have to learn to put it on and make it useful. <clears throat> day after day after day, we focus on putting it on, becoming more Christ-like, gaining the mind of Christ. Once we do, when the battle comes, we are protected. The belt, commitment. The breastplate, purity. The shoes, Confidence in the presence of power of the one with whom we have made peace. The shield, faith. The helmet, security and assurance of triumph. And the sword, the application of truth against sin. All pieces of the armor of God, worn so that we can stand in this evil day. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth in your word that we have heard today. Lord, we pray as we have heard that that truth and the knowledge of that truth turns into understanding and application in our lives so that we live lives where we become more Christ-like, where we take on the spiritual realities of these word pictures and these pieces of armor so that we can stand firm in this evil day. Stand firm so that we can carry out the mission that you have given us in our lives. Stand firm so that we can break down strongholds and set captives free and help others to know you as their Lord and Savior. But Lord, most importantly, stand firm so that we live lives that give honor and glory to you. Heavenly Father, we pray all these things in the precious name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.